timing or bad timing? It's a key question in politics and today I'll be putting it to Senator Ian Gorst. He stopped being Chief Minister just before Covid, which means he wasn't the guy ordering the whole island to stay at home for their own safety. But he also got the big boy Brexit and then its slippery little brother fishing. And now he's on point as Jersey says it's cleaning out the Russian money following the invasion of Ukraine after spending years trying to get that investment here in the first place. So good timing or bad? Senator Gorse, the current Minister for External Relations and Financial Services, is joining me, James Filial, on this week's Politics Disassembled podcast. He's an independent member of the Council of Ministers in both senses of the word. One who broke ranks to voice his doubts about the borrowing plans for the new £800 million hospital. He's also been there at the heart of government since 2008. In fact, you might say that Senator Gorse knows where all the political bodies are buried. Or the recent ones, anyway. So we'll see if we can get him to reveal a few, metaphorically, on the pod this week. Senator Gorse, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Now, I want to start with the um, the obvious question, since um, elections are in the offing. You've made your decision, so why don't you start telling us um, what you're going to do? Uh, yeah, so we've got the uh, new electoral districts. Uh, I live in St. Juan, and so I've announced this morning that I will be standing in St. Peter, St. Juan and St. Mary. Uh, I think that's the district that everybody thinks about, but in electoral speak, it's referred to as District 1. Okay, so you're definitely standing, you're definitely standing as a deputy. If you get in, what about Chief Minister? Now, I've been quite clear uh, that I've got work to do where I currently am sitting uh, in the Ministry for External Relations and Financial Services. We've got all of the change around corporate tax that the OECD is promoting. We've got a Moneyval assessment in 2023. And we've got all of the other ongoing work that means that I want to continue to do that. Having said that, if a incoming chief minister says, well, why don't you consider this or this and we'll move things around a bit, then I'll be open to that as well. OK. Standing as an independent, though, so not a party member, why is that? I think that we uh, often in today's community can be accused of putting aside the things that has made Jersey great in the past. And there are many great things about Jersey's independent politics. Those who make the case for parties always talk about the downside. And there are, of course, downsides. We're all so well aware of them. But the great thing is that it can be less divisive. You can build consensus and seek to find a way through uh, knotty problems. Parties don't really facilitate that. In actual fact, we're already seeing in this election, there's quite a lot of personality, there's quite a lot of division amongst people that I've worked with in the past. I know them as individuals. I could work with 
virtually any one of them going forward. Well, perhaps not Reform Jersey, but, you know, we've got uh, Progress Party. I've worked with the two Steves, now three. I've worked with Sir Philip in the JLC. I've worked with Sir Mark when he was in London in the Alliance Party. I've worked with Senator Farnham. I've worked with Senator Moore. So, actually... Parties are dividing us when what we really need to do to face the challenges that Jersey faces is come together. So I still think that independence is the right way. But whatever the result of the election, if I am elected, I will work with one of those four or five individuals. Okay. All right. Well, let's just just probe into this for a second, though, because you have been on the Council of Ministers with various Alliance Party members. Now, how has that worked, having a party that formed during the term of the Council of Ministers, then coalescing at the top of government? I think that that will be an issue that the Alliance Party themselves has got to speak to the public about. Because many times during the uh, Council of Ministers discussions, I've found myself to be a lone voice Sometimes there's been two or three of us, and let's be clear, everybody knows what that's about. That's about the level of spending. It's about whether ministers are in control or officials. It's about the level of borrowing. Um, I think that the public want to see the democratic process reinvigorated, and that means ministers have got to show that they are in charge by the way that they run their uh, departments. That's not always been evident uh, throughout the term of this government. Certainly, I don't think we've been controlling expenditure. Um, We've certainly borrowed far too much. But we have an alliance party with a new leader who I think would share my vision uh, for Jersey more than perhaps some of the actions that have been taken by the current government. All right, let's probe uh, further into that one, though, as well, because you're talking there about... Um, essentially a proposition that you brought forward in 2018, that was P1, which I'm sure you remember very clearly, which um, created this this uh, uh, all-powerful chief executive at the top of the States, which at the time was Charlie Parker, the man you recruited. Do you think that's going to come back to haunt you through the election period? Well, inevitably, if you make decisions, not everybody agrees with those decisions. It's uh, I look back... Uh, often, uh, particularly about that recruitment. I recruited a person uh, that I thought would come in and help cut the cost of government, cut the size of government, and help government work together. It was only a few months before the election, and I think the thing I learned most about it was that's probably not good timing. Uh, We should have waited until after the election, Uh, because I was no longer then in in the position of chief minister and it would have been far better if an incoming chief minister could have made that decision because then there was a new government put into place who shared a different vision. They were uh, more willing to spend more uh, and they were more willing to grow the number of people employed in uh, government and all of the things that we've seen them do. Now, Charlie Parker's got blame for everything, of course, uh, but he can only, any chief executive can only work with either the direction of the government or the permission uh, of the government. And so what he was brought in to do uh, was changed. Um, I make no comment on the fact that I don't think that what I brought him in to do happened. uh, And that's a real great disappointment 
uh, to me. Just be clear on that. What was that exactly? That was to make uh, the bits of uh, government that should work together better work together better. Uh, and that was to reduce the overall number of staff and to uh, make sure that efficiencies across government were really delivered in a way that we remind ourselves that under previous chief executives we were always told, well, we can't make them do that because there isn't the legislative base to make them do that. So the only real change that P1 made in practice was to create the chief executive officer as, in effect, the de facto overall accounting officer. But in order to um, deliver on that, uh, it would have been to the point of you have to remove other officers if they're not doing what the chief executive wants or they're not doing what the council of ministers want. Charlie Parker never used that power. He basically used his power of personality. Uh, Some of that is what's annoyed people about him. And quite a lot of it, I think, is that uh, rather than fully understanding the Jersey context, he just bulldozed through uh, a programme. And that programme at the start, we all said was going to save money and reduce the size of government. We sit here today and we're spending 200 million more than we were per annum. And we've got hundreds of more uh, staff in government. That's not what my vision is. It's not what my vision was. Um, uh, On the other side of the equation, of course, is that there's no doubt that the bringing together of government in the way that those reforms did uh, enabled Jersey to face the pandemic and deal with COVID in a way that I'm not sure we'd have been able to do uh, before. So did the civil service need stirring up and changing and thinking, being encouraged to think the unthinkable? Of course it did. Uh, But now we've got a new CEO uh, and even though she's only been in for a few here for a couple of months, I think she's uh, very good. Mm. Uh, She seems to understand Jersey and I think that she will now build on that. um, You could say there's been a lot of chaos and, and now somebody can come and settle it down and get it into the right place. But effectively the argument you're making is that um, you made those changes, you were the political leader at the time, they didn't work, but that's not your fault. No, no, I did the recruitment. I'm prepared to take my share of the blame because I recruited somebody on the premise, uh, I suppose, uh, that I would then be chief minister and work with them to deliver on my vision. And I wasn't. Uh, so I don't step away from making the recruitment. That said, that was entirely me. Do a you, new government then comes in and it? seeks something else. Was it the wrong man? Well, I regret that uh, I made that recruitment at that time and put Charlie through what actually he then went through. You, you wouldn't wish that on anyone. What about the fact, though, that you said P1 made these, these various changes? One thing it did do, though, was it created more powerful civil servants vis-a-vis ministers. And you defined that in your, some of your introductory remarks. That's one of the problems that this Council of Ministers has suffered from, effectively not having or feeling like they haven't got the power to do what they want. Do you accept that? No, I never... When I brought forward P1, I, it never occurred to me that you would potentially have politicians and ministers who weren't able to articulate a vision 
and tell the civil service what they wanted doing and then make it happen. Because that, that's always been my experience in every council of ministers I've served in, uh, when it was Franks and Terry's. You know, ministers were strong. Ministers told officials uh, what they wanted to happen and officials came forward with programmes to deliver it. Uh, we know, of course, throughout that period, some officials were unhappy with that and they had to leave under difficult circumstances because they didn't do what ministers wanted them to do. Uh, what we've seen is that the underlying legislation is really important, of course it is, but actually personalities are just as important and people should come into politics to want to make a difference, to have a vision of where they want to get to, and then make sure that the civil service delivers. Okay, but let's just get into the specifics of this, though. What would you have done differently in the last four years than Senator John LaFondre? Give me some examples. I'm really interested in that. What would you have done differently? Uh, Well, I would have uh, not allowed the growth in expenditure, We had lots of arguments about uh, growth in expenditure. I would not have uh, proposed the borrowing uh, that we have uh, done. They, they, I think, are the the big things. Okay, so borrowing and expenditure. How would you have paid for the things that that has paid for? Well, you're making the assumption, uh, A, that every every pound that we spend is money well spent, and I've always made the case that, no, we should continually review uh, the expenditure that we're making and make sure that we're getting value for money, and that's uh, something that the civil services often uh, struggled with because everybody thinks that their bit of expenditure is the most important bit of expenditure. Um, I would have uh, made sure uh, that we had a mix and a match of using capital and using uh, borrowing as we were going to propose for the uh, previous hospital sites. Okay. Would you have done COVID any differently? That's difficult to say because COVID was uh, really challenging and it was really challenging for every community. Now, I have a different style of communication uh, from the current chief minister and some other ministers, so I would certainly have done that uh, differently. Uh, And in hindsight, there are all sorts of things that we might have done differently. We might have made decisions uh, more quickly Uh, But that's with hindsight. When we now look at the balance, although we're still in the middle of uh, COVID and it's still ravaging our community and we shouldn't forget that, that's why we've just decided to extend the uh, legal requirement to isolate for a further month in the hope that if we do that, people keep taking it seriously, keep being careful uh, about their own hygiene and Mm -hmm. distancing and things like that so we don't have to bring in other measures. Um, But if you look at the balance uh, of what we've done, we've made broadly the right decisions with the support of uh, the medical officer for health. Yes, we've challenged uh, medical advice. We've challenged stack uh, members. Broadly. But broadly, because if you take take the big numbers of, at the end of the day, uh, there were no excess deaths in 20 
uh, were broadly the same number of deaths that we would have in any given year in 2021. Uh, and the verdict obviously is still out in 2022, but it's looking broadly the same as well. So those uh, are the ultimate measures that we uh, sure, that we should take because other people are taking uh, other measures. We rolled out the vaccine uh, really quickly and really well, mirroring the um, UK. Okay, but we tried to keep the economy open and connectivity open and the schools open as well. Well, that's where I wanted to take you on to. So the the, the economic the economic impact of all of this in your uh, election statement this morning, you say you're going to cut taxes, you're going to reduce taxes. Which ones? Well, straight off the bat, and uh, I'm not sure we should be waiting for the election, I would reduce fuel duty. We've got a really growing uh, cost of living crisis, which is caused by all all sorts of things, but it's really exasperated by the war in Ukraine. And we're only just seeing the start of what might happen uh, around supply chains and cost of food and fuel, particularly if Europe then makes a decision to uh, wean itself off Russian uh, oil and gas. So we're only starting to see the start of that. So right out of the bat, I would uh, cut fuel duty by probably around 10%, 10 pence. Okay, so that's the initial one. But I, I get the sense from your, your declaration that there's more behind that. What else would you do? Well, I think that some of the things that we're going to do uh, around responding to the OECD on uh, corporate tax will uh, give us some flexibility to make adjustments to other tax regimes as well. I've always wanted to keep on the work of reducing the marginal rate of tax. We managed to do it by 1p uh, in, a, in a previous government of mine. Uh, it was one of the things that Senator Ozef wanted to do and we did it. It was the right thing to do. I'd like to see that continue to reduce so that we can make our overall system uh, more understandable and put more money back into people's pockets. Hang on, though. If you, if you step back from this, I mean, the island's going to go through an exceptionally expensive time. We've got COVID to pay for. We've got the hospital to pay for. We've got the effects of the Ukraine crisis to pay for. There's a lot of big bills coming. Is it the right time to be reducing taxes? Is it the right time to be supporting islanders uh, with the very real squeeze in their pockets is the way that we should look at it. And the answer to that has to be yes. Okay. All right. Let me take you on then to um, Ukraine. Um, What role has Jersey played, do you think, in this so-called London laundromat, which we hear in the media so often these days? Well, there's Russian money, there's Russian assets, there's Russian resources right across Europe. Uh, So the first thing we uh, do is acknowledge uh, that we are connected with that international uh, financial infrastructure and we do have uh, Russian assets, uh, Russian uh, or companies with Russian beneficial owners uh, being um, managed and controlled uh, from Jersey. So we're no different from the uh, rest of Europe in that regard. But what that means is we then have to step up and play our part in ensuring that money that's managed or controlled from Jersey with a connection to Putin is not used to bankroll Putin's war in Ukraine. Okay, so just just to cut through some of that, what you're saying is that Jersey has played a role, but it's a role that you're comfortable with. 
Well, I wouldn't use the term laundromat to start with because it's got negative connotations. Money that's come here has gone through uh, the appropriate due diligence. It's gone through the appropriate uh, checks. But in light of the war in Ukraine, it now looks very different. You're and sure we of need that, to make And we need to make sure, we need to make sure... Uh, that going forward it's not used in the way that um, I said. We've, we all read it in light of, before the war in Ukraine, uh, we did a national risk assessment, you'll remember that, quite a boring do. document, but it, it, it said, uh, and it said to um, finance companies that they uh, should already put in place enhanced due diligence for uh, investments where there's a Russian connection. Look, and you, that's exactly hang, what they do. Hang on, you, you can step back from some of this though, surely. You can see it from, from, from a listener's point of view that essentially we're told that everything's fine. We've checked all this stuff. It's all good. And then two or three years down the chat track, we hear, oh, sorry, actually it isn't, we should have done more. And that's the continual cycle, which you're now perpetuating. You're saying, well, look, you know, there was some money, yeah, but it's all okay. It went through the due diligence, don't worry about it. But it'll come out in the next few years that actually that's not true. Well, it won't come out that it's not true. It will come out that there was uh, due diligence done. Let's be clear, if there wasn't appropriate due diligence done and people have done things that they shouldn't have done, they haven't complied with anti-money laundering and countering the finance and terrorism regulations, then they will be held to account. Uh, and uh, that you, holding to account can you give is, me getting, is getting stronger and stronger. Great. What we've got to can, remind ourselves... Can you give me some examples of where that has happened? Who has been held to account? Well, let's... I'll come back to that then. Let's just go back to the other assumption, which is that all uh, Russian money uh, is now suddenly uh, a problem and there's, there's some illegal activity going on. That, of course, is not the case. What sanctions are is saying that um, other diplomatic channels haven't worked, the war is now taking place, and so we'll take other uh, political or diplomatic measures, which is what sanctions are, to create uh, an economic difficulty for the uh, country, that, in this case Russia, which is uh, at war in uh, Ukraine. So um, I don't have all the, coming back to your other question, um, I don't have all of the uh, various details of recent cases that have gone through, but next week I'll be in London uh, signing uh, or, or with the Attorney General uh, um, there will be signed there an asset sharing agreement with Kenya and that's a prime example of where uh, something uh, has happened Jersey has been used in an inappropriate way and it's not okay. the only example and we now have gone through this long process financial crime is really difficult to get to the uh, bottom of we've gone through this long process and finally those monies are going back to the people of Kenya to help them in their fight uh, against Covid in their community and that's something which uh, I think we can be proud of what that shows is that um, whilst we've got the very highest and latest standards of regulation here, at the same time, if you do seek to abuse it and you do the wrong thing, then we will okay. find you and we will make sure that you are a uh, prosecuted and be the money sent back to the legitimate owners. Let me ask you a really simple question. Was Jersey wrong to be promoting itself to Russian investors? 
in the last decade? Because it has done that. It has, yeah. I, I accept uh, that. It's probably about, uh, probably about a decade since it actually did uh, promote, but that's still your right to say uh, that there were uh, Jersey people going to Russia and promoting Jersey as a uh, centre. And Russia, of course, at that point, was connected into the international community in a very different way from the way that it is today. Uh, and the actions of the Russian leader uh, over that period have got worse and worse. And there, there are reasons why Jersey stopped promoting itself in Russia in the way that it, it did because of those concerns oh. and brought in the enhanced uh, due diligence on, so, that it, so that we made it more so that we made it more difficult but that's, but, that's just the we didn't this know is, at the time argument though isn't it i mean there's, there's there were warnings from british diplomats there's one in the ft today who was flagging this stuff back in 2011 he i mean he was a senior british dip, diplomat 2011 to 2016 and was flagging the issues with putin's regime then there are lots of things that we do uh, and we do them with the full knowledge and in cooperation uh, with the United Kingdom and uh, seek to understand what challenges there are, uh, what advice they might give us to uh, where we go and where we operate. And uh, at that point, uh, there were not... Uh, official flags raised despite there are people now saying you know i said this and i said that that's that's inevitability um the important thing for us now is uh, how we deal with it today okay all right there's a connected issue here because i do want to move on to one 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 final issue which is the, the pno stuff which has come out in the last uh, last week or so the, once again, Jersey's getting sucked into this this level of criticism internationally, which I'm sure is a concern for you and, and, and the department that that, uh, that you run. You know, there's a book uh, promoted at the moment, Putin's People. It refers to Jersey and the, the links that Jersey's had in some of the areas we've discussed. Um, none, none of that is new. I'm not saying it is. What I'm saying is it's pushed Jersey back up onto this level of international exposure. So you've had Grant Shapps again this week saying that the Jersey structure, the Jersey structuring of employment via P&O has complicated matters. What's your view of that, that Jersey's being linked as a complicator? Well, the first thing I'd say is, look, politicians are politicians, whether they're in the Royal Square and in the State's Chamber, and they say things to, they say things which are political. Uh, and that happens around the globe. Um, so we are in touch with the Department for uh, Transport, uh, because some of the um, insinuations are certainly not how we would see it and certainly not how uh, Jersey uh, lawyers would see the case. And, and if you actually dig into the um, uh, details of lots of the articles around P&O, there's lots of political statements, okay, that's fine, uh, but when you actually stop and read what the lawyers are saying... It's quite clear to me that both Jersey lawyers and UK lawyers are saying that even if there were Jersey issued contracts, and I use that word issued advisedly because people are saying they were Jersey contracts. Well, if they were Jersey contracts with Jersey people, they had to comply with Jersey law, which largely mirrors the UK law. Um, 
they were Jersey issued, the important question is under which law are they operating and where were the people resident? And these uh, P&O employees, as far as I can see, are largely or wholly UK resident. Case law would say in the UK that if you are a UK resident, you are fall under UK law. But it doesn't mean to say that it's not uh, I, I, politically I, expedient to try and point the finger at somebody else no, and, I, I, and I all of those that. things. But when it comes down to, I think your question was about, um, might, must make things difficult for you when Jersey's being referred to in this way. Of course it does, but we have to keep correcting uh, what people say and that's what we do. But Jersey's been described by a senior government minister in the UK as a complicator. Your argument is always, we've heard it a million times, that Jersey is a facilitator, the opposite of how it's being perceived. How do you change that? When these, these, these examples keep coming up where Jersey isn't what you're saying it is. Well, the, you deal with the direct issue in hand. Firstly, and that's what I'm uh, doing and have been doing uh, this week. Uh, but then at the same time, you do, you've got all of the other work that Jersey is doing around Jersey for good, Jersey for uh, green growth, Jersey for um, sustainability and all of those things. So you're trying then uh, to or speak to people here in Jersey, of course, and uh, service providers about how they can uh, move in that direction. But at the same time, you've got these examples of uh, Jersey for good. Okay, Senator Ingors, thank you for your time and your comments on the pod this morning. So the election period is hotting up. We've had lots of candidates declaring this week. You can see bailiwickexpress.com for all the details and we'll keep you up to date with the dying embers of the island plan debate, which should be finally fading out this week, maybe. Then there's also the forthcoming inspector's inquiry into the new hospital, which begins in a week or so. There's lots of news about, ladies and gentlemen, at the moment. Bailiwick will be here online, on the radio and in print to keep you across it all. And you can find our sister news podcast on the website too and in the obvious pod places. You know what to do by now. Share it on social. Give it a glowing review. Purge yourselves. The best one wins a ringside seat at the next Island Plan debate. You lucky things. I'll be back with another political pod next week. But for now, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.